All right, good evening, everyone. Uh, those of you on Zoom, especially nice to have you back with us. We're going to, uh, it's part two of our shear. We'll have a short shear, just a quick review of what we did last week, and then uh, move forward a little bit in the development of this concept. We're talking about the idea of hidur, the idea of beautifying the mitzvah. And as we mentioned last week, there are really two elements of the concept of hidur. One is a general Torah concept that all mitzvahs that we do should be, be, should be beautiful. And the Gemara gives a number of examples. Uh, our, our tefillin should be beautiful, our tzitzah should be beautiful, should be beautiful. Everything we do should be beautiful. And then we have a specific concept when it comes to the Esrog, because the Torah refers to the Esrog as a pre eitz Hadar, which literally would translate as the fruit of the beautiful tree. And we saw last week the concept that the Rabbanim hold, the Chachamim of the Mishnah hold, that because of this passage, there's a unique aspect of Hidur, not the general concept, but when it comes to the Arbaminim of the Lulav and the Esrog and the Hadassim and the Aravos, a more specific and a more powerful concept of Hidur. And where we saw that was in the Mishnah, the opening Mishnah of the third parakel, Masech Sukkah, that the Mishnah says that a Lulav Hayovesh, if you have a dried out Lulav, it's possible. And the Mishnah actually discusses the same exact concept in Esrog HaYavesh, a Hadas that's a Yavesh, or a Rava that's Yavesh. Any one of the four species that is dried out is possible. What's wrong with the dried out uh, species? Who cares? It's, I, I took an Esrog. It is a Hadas. It is the Aravos. What difference does it make? So the, the Gemara learns out it's not Hadar. It's not beautiful. And that's a unique concept because the general Torah concept of Hidur is never a, a you, where you're not yotze bidyevet. It's not ma'akev. If you don't have a beautiful pair to fill, and the only thing we ask is, well, were they kosher? They're not kosher. Okay, they're not beautiful. But is it kosher? Here we have a concept by the Arbaminim that the Rabbanim hold. Hadar is such an intrinsic part of the mitzvah that we say it's possible. A lulav hayavesh, possible. A esrog hayavesh is possible. You can't use it. What we saw last week is a machlokis between the Rabbanim and the Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees with this in concept entirely. And that even though the Chachamim hold, not only does it apply when it comes to the esrog, but we attach from the esrog to all four species like we just mentioned. All four of the Arbaminim have this concept that it must be hadar. And we learned last week that Rabbi Yehuda we're not, we don't hold like Rabbi Huda. We're not going to be discussing him much, but just because that was the springboard for our discussion. Last week, Rabbi Huda doesn't hold of the entire concept. Not by the Esrog, not by the Lulav, not by the Hadassim, not by the Aravos. He has no problem with the dried out Min. Any one of the four Min is fine if it's dried out because he doesn't hold of the concept of Hadar. What would he do with the Pasuk of pre eight Hadar? We mentioned last week. So the Gemara actually goes through a number of different interpretations of how we darshan pre eight Hadar. One of them, for example, is Eitz Shetaam Eitzo Upirio Shava, that the taste of the, of the fruit and the taste of the bark should be the same. Because in Esrog, most of the fruit is the outside rind that takes out almost the entirety of the fruit, a very bitter taste. Nobody can eat the rind of an Esrog. There's very little pulp. So the primary essence of the, or the bulk of the Esrog fruit actually tra- tastes the same as, uh, as the bark. 
Uh, so you have one interpretation like that, or the Gemara says, for example, that it's Hadar Bi'ilono Mishana Lishana, that it dwells on the tree from year to year, because it's not Hadar, like beautiful, but Hadar, that lives on the tree, because it's constantly growing, they're big ones, they're little ones, um, as we said, like a deer, like a, a pen. Uh, so in any case, there are various different interpretations, Rabbi Yehudu would hold of one of those, but the Chachamim hold of Hadar. Why was this relevant to our discussion? So we mentioned last week that Rabbi Yehuda brought a proof to his opinion that there's no such concept of Hadar because he brought a brisa. There was a Maisa Shahaya, there was a story in a certain town where they used to bequeath their Lulavim from one generation to the next generation, down to the next generation. They always kept the same Lulav. It was like an heirloom, a family heirloom. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda says, clearly I'm right. There's no principle called Hadar. You can use a dried out Lulav because that's what they did. They passed it down from generation to generation. And the Chachamim said, it's true, but Shas Hadchak, that was a time of great uh, difficulty. They didn't have Lulavim available, so it was okay. You can't bring a proof against us from that. So Shas Hadchak, it was a time of an unusual, an unusual time. And we left off with the question of, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the idea of Hidur, of beautifying, is just a regular principle like all of Torah, so then it's true, it doesn't always have to apply. But if the Rabbanim learned that there's something unique about Hidur of the Lulav and the Esrog because of the Pasuk of pre-Eitz Hadar, and they say in the Mishnah that if it's dried, it's possible. If it's possible, it's possible. Just because it's a shasad chak, just because you can't get your hands on a lulav, that doesn't mean you can use a dried out. A dried out lulav is puzzle. And if I would have cut the top off and I said puzzle, and then I said it's a shasad chak, we can't find any other. So you can use a lulav with a top cut off? Of course not. It's puzzle. It's no good. So if, if it's puzzle and we use the same word puzzle for when it's dry, and we use the same word puzzle if the top is cut off, what kind of business is there, is there abundant saying to Rabbi Huda's proof? Yeah, it's true they, in that town they would hand the lula from one off to another. It was a shasat chak. They didn't have anything else available. It was tough times. That doesn't normally work. Which left us with the question of, well, then what is this principle of hidur? How does it apply and when does it apply that we can make exceptions such as that? To begin answering that question, we have to look at another Gemara, totally unrelated to the first Gemara that we learned, that will hopefully move us along. And now we're going to focus a little bit on the Esrog. We're going to learn a Mishnah, part of a Mishnah, on Daphalamid Dalid Amud Beis and Meseches Sukkah. This Mishnah is an Esrog Mishnah. Last week's Mishnah we spoke about the Lulav primarily, now we spoke about, speak about the Esrog. You'll see the very top lines of the Mishnah. It's the second Mishnah, Daphalamid Dalid Amud Beis, starts with the same concept, Esrog HaGazol V'Hayavesh Posol. If an esrog is either stolen or it's dry, it's possible. Because this is the sheet of the Chachamim, a dried out esrog. It's not a beautiful esrog, and therefore you can't use it. The mission gives a number of other halachas of the esrog which are not relevant to us. We're going to go all the way down to the last couple lines of the Mishnah. And the Mishnah teaches us about an esrog hakusi. We learn, well, an Esrog Hakusi is, uh, as Rashi explains to us, an Esrog that came from Ethiopia. And it is puzzle. You're not allowed to use an Esrog Hakushi, a, uh, an Esrog from Kush. 
kikarti, and then the Mishnah goes on to other lochas, which we're going to talk about that esrog hakusi. But the Mishnah discusses a green esrog. If it's so green, not like green where there's a little bit of hint of yellow, it is pure green, like a blade of grass green, or like a leafy green vegetable. So the Mishnah says that's a machlokas. Reb Meir says it's fine, it's an esrog, it's okay. Reb Yehuda says it's no good, it's not yet developed enough to be considered an esrog. The Mishnah then concludes with the shear of an esrog. What's the minimum shear? Is the minimum size either like a nuts, or does it have to be the size of an egg? And then the Mishnah talks about the maximum size. Is there such a thing? Can an esrog be too big? So uh, the Mishnah brings two opinions. Rabbi Huda says, yeah, you can only, if it, it can't be bigger than holding two in one hand. If you can't fit two esrogim in one hand, then your esrog is too big and you can't use it. And Abiyosi says it could be much bigger than that. You can hold one esrog in two hands and it's still fine. Those are some various halachas of the esrog, not relevant to us tonight. Let's talk about the esrog hakushi, hakushi which the Mishnah says is possible. You're not allowed to use an esrog hakushi. Now, when you talk about an esrog hakushi, uh, generally would be referred to something about being a blackened esrog. The question is, does our Mishnah refer to an esrog from the land of Kush, from the land of Ethiopia, or does it refer to an esrog that is black, like the people who come from the land of Ethiopia? All we know from the Mishnah is that an esrog hakushi is no good. What is the esrog hakushi that the Mishnah is saying is no good? Rashi says... It's both characteristics. This is how we start with this is going to be development over the sugi. But Rashi starts by telling us it has both of those characteristics. Rashi says, what is an Esrog HaKushi? Sheba Me'eretz Kush. It came from Ethiopia. Veshocharhu. And it's black. So that Ethiopian Esrogim, it's not just that we're disqualifying Esrogim that come from the land of Kush. It's that they come from the land of Kush and there's something unique about coming from the land of Kush. It's black. Yes? Do we have a modern-day discovery of that? I don't know. It's a good question. Is there, do we actually have an app? Like, do we know that Ethiopian Esrogim grow black? It's a good question. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. But in any case, that's our starting point. That's how Rashi understands the Mishnah. That if you were to have an Ethiopian Esrog, which is black, you're not allowed to use that on... Sukkis. It's no good. It is not, Rashi doesn't say explicitly, but as is un- understood and explained, it's not Hadar. It's not a beautiful esrog. It's totally blackened. Green we can talk about. Yellow it should be. Black? Not an esrog. That's not a nice esrog. It's puzzle, the Mishnah says. You can't use it. The Gemara on Daflam and Hayam and Aleph. So you'll have to scroll down uh, a little bit. Oh, sorry, it's Alamid Vav Amid Aleph. Excuse me, scroll down a little bit more. The Gemara in Daf Alamid Vav Amid Aleph, three quarters of the way down, starts with the words Omar Mar. I'm sorry, who are you going to have to find that? Omar Mar, um, Esro Kushi Puzzle. It's, it's literally three quarters of the way down just to try to, uh, to find that. Let me know when you got it. On Lamid Vav Amid Aleph. Okay, says the Gemara, Omar Mar, we quote the Armishnah, uh, that was, had been quoted a little bit earlier in the Gemara, Esro Kushi Puzzle. We just started an Ethiopian Esrog, which is black, it's no good, you're not allowed to use it. The Gemara says, I have a source that says the exact opposite. The Atanya, we learned in Abraisa, Kushi is kosher. That if it comes, if it's a Kushi Esrog, then it's fine, there's no problem using a Kushi Esrog. 
domelakushi, but if it's similar or looks like a kushi, then it's indeed possible. So this second brisa throws a little wrench into our plans because the Mishnah started with a very simple line. A kushi esrog is possible. The Bryce says, no, 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 no. A kushi esrog is fine, but if it, an esrog that looks like a kushi esrog, then it's a problem. The Gemara is going to present two ways to really put these two sources together that we will then develop. Omar Abaye says the Gemara, first answer, which we're not going to focus too much on. Kitna Nami, our Mishnah also, when it said that an esrog hakushi is no good, what it meant was it looks black. Meaning Rashi was just explaining to us what the Gemara originally thought when Rashi said in the Mishnah that the Esrog HaKushi that's no good has two characteristics. That it comes from Kush and that it, it's black. The Gemara, according to Abaye, didn't really mean that it came from, that's irrelevant that it came from Kush. That's fine. The only thing that's relevant is what color is it? If it's actually from Ethiopia and it's a normal-looking esrog, says Abaye, it would be fine. But if it's domelakushi, so when the Mishnah said a kuthin, a, a Ethiopian esrog is no good, it means an esrog that looks like an Ethiopian person. An esrog that looks black would be no good. That's not a nice esrog. Human beings are beautiful in all colors. But an esrog has to be yellow Greenish yellow, that's a beautiful esrog. And if it therefore looks like a kushi esrog, no good. That's how Abayi explains it. For the Bryce and the Mishnah are saying the same thing. We don't really care where it came from. We only care what it looks like. That's how Abaye understands this Gemara. Rava says, however, a different teretz. Rava Amar Kasha. There's no contradiction between our Mishnah source and our Bryce source. Halan. Ha-lehu. Very simple answer with a lot of ramifications. This Mishnah is referring to one area, Eretz Yisrael. Abraham is referring to Bavel, meaning the halach of whether we accept a kushi esrog is dependent, meaning it's no contradiction, it's true. Our Mishnah says a kushi esrog is no good. And the Bryce says a kushi esrog is good, adding a phrase, but if it's domel kushi, it's no good. What's the difference if you could use a kushi esrog? Depends where you live. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, it's no good. If you live in Bavel, it's fine. What's the difference between if you live in Eretz Yisrael or if you live in Bavel, whether or not you could use a kushi esrog? Now we're going to see two approaches in the Rishonim, how to explain this Gemara. Let's start with Rashi. Rashi says, I think what if you just click on the commentary, you should be able to get the Rashi on Halon v'Halahu. I'll read it. If you get it, great. If not, it's fine either way. Rashi says, Halon Halahu, Li'olam Masnisin Kushinami Posel. Our Mishnah says if it comes from Kushi, from the land of Ethiopia, it's no, it's, it's possible. Philo Kosha, and there's no stira, there's no contradiction between the Brisa which said it's fine and the mission which said it's no good. Because Masnisin, our Mishnah, which said that it's good, no good, excuse me, that you're not allowed to use it. Libnei Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, you can't use the black esrog. Why? Shirechokin me Eretz Kush. Eretz Yisrael is far from Ethiopia. Ve'enam regilin bohem. They're not used to seeing black esrogim. 
Meaning, Rava understands the way the Rashi explained in the Mishnah, the original understanding. We're talking about an, an esrog from Kush that is black. It has both qualities. But if you live in Israel, you can't use that. Why can't I use an, an esrog from Ethiopia that's black? Who's ever seen a black esrog in the land of Israel before? We don't get our esrogan from Ethiopia. The trade lines don't really run from Ethiopia to Israel so well. They get their esrogan from other countries or if they grow them locally. They don't see black esrogim. So if you were to show up in shul with a black esrog from Ethiopia, people will look at you. They would say, what kind of esrog is that? Never seen something like that. And therefore, it's possible. That's when the mission is you can't use it. There's no hadar. There's no beauty to something that's so unusual like that. The b'risa, which said you're allowed to use an Ethiopian esrog, libnei bavel, that's a halacha for the Bnei Bavel. In Babylonia, you are allowed to use an esrog from Kush that's black. Why? Shekrovim Kush. In Babylonia, they were closer. The trade routes worked themselves from Ethiopia to Bavel. They were used to seeing black esrogim. Nothing unusual. So, therefore, if you bring in a black esrog to Bavil, no one's going to raise their eyebrows. Nobody's going to say to you, where in the world did you get that from? It's a normal thing. We see it all the time. They sell them in the marketplaces. However, mikomakom begidel kan v'doimim l'kushi. How does Rashi read the last phrase? In other words, right now he explained the contradiction. The, the Mishnah which says that an esrog from Kush that's puzzle is referring to the people in Eretz Yisrael who've never seen anything like that before. The Brisa that says the esrog from Kush is kosher, that's referring to the people in Bavel. What about the line of the Brisa that says if it looks like a Kush esrog, it's no good? That is, Begidel Khan, if it grows in Bavel, if it grows somewhere else, meaning not in Kush where it's normal to grow black esrogim. It grows anywhere else in the world, a black esrog that grows somewhere else. That is, doime lekushi is nidmu. That's already an aberration. That's for sure, Puzzle, because that's an unusual growth. So that Rashi leaves us with the following. Following fascinating set of halachas. An esrog that grows in Kush is the normal way to grow. It grows black. It's normal to grow black. Since it's normal to grow black, in the land of Kush, you're fine. What about anywhere else in the world? Well, if you live in Eretz Yisrael and you've never seen this normal growing esrog in the land of Kush that grows black, but for you, I've never seen anything like that, no good. If you live in Bavel, where they regularly import esrogim from Bavel to, excuse me, from Kush to Bavel, you see it all the time. It's normal where it grows. They all grow like this. It's normal in Bavel. We see it. It hits the marketplace. It's fine. It's kosher. If it grows in Bavel black, that's strange. You don't grow black esrogim in Bavel. Therefore, it becomes intrinsically puzzle. Ah, we have a picture being displayed. Excellent. In, in, uh, in Bavel, where it doesn't grow that way, then it would be intrinsically puzzle. This in itself becomes a very fascinating concept in which we've now taken the idea of Hidur and made it a subjective concept. That if it grows in Bavel, which is a normal way to grow black, excuse me, in Ethiopia, grows black, that's normal. So in Ethiopia, you're totally fine because this is a normal esrogim. They grow black over here. Even in Bavel, where you import esrogim regularly from Ethiopia to Bavel, so when you look at that esrog, 
normal. Some are yellow, some are green, some are black. Nobody raises any eyebrows. It's kosher. But if you live in Eretz Yisrael and you've never seen an estrog like that before, now it's possible. Because it's strange. It's not hadar. There's no hidr. There's no beauty in such, a, in such an esrog. And so the esrog that was beautiful in Bavel, an esrog that was beautiful in Ethiopia, is not an esrog that's beautiful in Eretz Yisrael, because it's strange in Eretz Yisrael. And we all know something is strange is not beautiful. The definition of strange is we look at it askance, because it's so weird. Even though that same item somewhere else is normal, but here it's strange, and therefore it loses its quality of beauty, and it's puzzle. You cannot use that in Eretz Yisrael. A fascinating subjective idea to the idea of beauty. The Rambam has a little different understanding of this Gemara. Let's read the Rambam. The Rambam understands the Gemara as follows. In Hilchus Lulav and Perak Ches. You have it there? So... Um, the Rambam begins Halacha Ches with a series of Halachas which we have not been uh, discussing. So halfway through the, uh, the Rambam, the Rambam discusses Makom Sheha Esrogim Shalahem Ke'ein Shachrus. So halfway through the Halacha. The Rambam says, what about a place, a Makom, if you live in a place where the Esrogim are black? M'uta, a little black. You live in a place where esrogim grow a little blackened. They're a little dark. They're not perfectly yellow or green like we're used to seeing. But you live in a place, any place. The Rambam does not say where it has to be. Kush is just an example. According to the Rambam's understanding, if you live in a place where esrogim grow black, they're fine in that place. Because where you live, that's how they grow. It's no problem. The imhayu shechayrim biyoser. But if they're really black, they're not just darkened, it's not just a dark green or yellow, a little hue of uh, black. No, it's pure black, says the Rambam. Ke'odam kushi, like a person who comes from Ethiopia. Harezeh posel b'chol makom. Then, that's always posel. So that the Rambam is reading the Gemara, Halon Haluhu, a little bit different. As the Magid Mishnah explains, I'll just read it, you're not going to find it, you don't have to on the, on, on the safari over there. But um, he explains as follows. In Levnei Eretz Yisrael, a, a Kushi a Esrog is Pasol. Why, why is the Gemara distinguishing between Eretz Yisrael and Bnei Bavel? Because in Bnei Bavel, Shohai Esrogim Shelahem Kushim. In Bavel, they grow darkened esrogim. Not exactly like Rashi who learned Bavel and Eretz Yisrael grow normal esrogim. The only question is, how does it grow? Are they used to seeing it from where it comes from Kush? The Ramam understands if you live in a place that grows darkened esrogim, then it's totally fine in the place that you live, as long as it's not Hakushi Harbe. As long as it's not totally blackened. If it's totally blackened, then it becomes possible. And B'nai Eretz Yisrael, where they never grow darkened esrogim, so then even a darkened esrog would be possible for them as well. So that in the Rambam's world, if you live, it all depends on what grows normally in your area. If you normally grow darkened esrogim, you're fine with it. Except if it's totally black. Then even in the area where you live, then it's no good. What, do we have, what does this sugi have to do with Ethiopian esrogim? Nothing. 
Ethiopian esrogim, the fact that it grows in Ethiopia is irrelevant. The only question is where you live, is it normally darkened? The Ethiopian esrog is only to show if it's totally black, then it's no good. That's not Hadar. But if it's blackened, it's okay, as long as they grow that way in your area. So the Rambam too has a subjective component that in the land of Eretz Yisrael, where they don't grow darkened esrogim, if you were to come across the darkened esrog, it's no good. In Bavel, where they do grow darkened esrogim, totally normal, it's fine. So that the esrog which would be brought from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, the Rambam would say, no good. In Bavel, it's fine. It's a beautiful esrog in Bavel. But we don't grow esrogim like that in Eretz Yisrael, in Bavel, it would be fine. We don't grow it that way in Eretz Yisrael. So if you bring your esrog from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael, can't use that over there, that's not kosher. We don't grow esrogim like that over here. And then it becomes, again, the subjective, no good esrog. There is no hinder in an unusual esrog. This approach of the Rambam is accepted by the Shulchan Aruch uh, Lehalacha. Shulchan Aruch writes, and Simin Tafresh Mem Ches, in Sif Yud Zayin, Makom Shoha Esrogim Shalahem. You have it? Makom Shoha Esrogim Shalahem, Kein Shchoros Me'at, a place where the Esrogim grow a little blackened, Kshayrim, then they're fine. Vim Hayu Shchoyrim Biyoser, Ka'adam Kushi, Harez Apostol, Bechol Makom. So as long as you're in a place where they grow a little bit darkened, they're fine. But if they're completely black, that's already what the Gemara means to say. Then there's no hidur in something that's completely black, only if it's a little bit black. The Mishnah Brewer just simply adds, Aval Bishar Mikomos. What about all the other places? What about, this place grows them a little bit black, like in Bavil. But what about if you live in the land of Israel, they don't grow them black? So the Mishabru explains, as is clear from the Rambam and the Gemara that we saw, Afilu b'shochor ma'at, it would be puzzle. It would be no good. Umashma afilu heim la, even if they're close by. But we don't grow esrogim that way here, and therefore it's no good. And so both like Rashi and the Rambam's approaches, there is a subjective element to the concept of hidur based on Rava's comment of halan haluhu. We make a distinction between Bavel and Eretz Yisrael, one brisa, one source says that the kushi esrog is kosher. One source says the kushi esrog is posel. How do you distinguish between that? A rabbi said it depends where you live. What exactly is the distinction? So Rashi and the Rambam have a little different approach. Rashi says we're always talking about an esrog that grew in the land of Kush, and then it just matters whether or not we're used to seeing it. In Eretz Yisrael, they weren't used to importing esrogim, so it was unusual, can't use it. And in Bavel, we're used to it, you can use it. Whereas the Rambam says, we don't really care about importing Ethiopian esrogim, we only care about esrogim which grow in your location. If they grow darkened, it's totally fine, it's beautiful. But if you live in an area where it doesn't grow that way, it's not beautiful, it's unusual. You can't use it even if it came from a place that does grow normally that way. But if you now import that into an area that doesn't use it, then it is no good. We will use this, leave that as example number two, source number two of some subjective nature to the concept of hidur. That even though the Chachamim used the language of Puzzle. Something is not hidor. It's no good. You can't use it. Not just that you can't use it. Lechatchil. It's not ideal. You can't use it. So we saw last week that the chachamim say, yeah, it's true. If it's not hidor, it's puzzle. But if it's a shasat chak, you're stretched. 
you don't have any other options, you can use a totally dried out lulav, then it's fine. What do you mean? If it's not beautiful, if it's possible, how could, why all of a sudden now I can use it? That was question number one from last week. Tonight we learned that an esrog that grows blackened, which is also not hidur, we have a similar subjective concept. If you import them, like Rashi explains, and you're used to seeing it, it's normal, no problem. If I never see such an esrog, I can't use it. Or like the Rambam says, if they grow in my location this way, totally fine. But if they don't, you can't use it. So for him it's okay, and for me it's not. For him it's beautiful, and for me it's not. Yep, that's exactly what we say. For him it's beautiful, you can use it. For you, it's not beautiful, and therefore you can't use it. We need, we'll finish Mertz Hashem next week. I think the third one is either next week, that we have to have to work out the calendar exactly next week. Um, uh, as one last source in terms of putting this together of the defining characteristic of how we use Hidur when we can and when we can't and how we address this fascinating subjective concept of beauty when it comes to fulfilling the mitzvahs. Look forward to uh, finishing up Mitzvah Hashem next week. Wishing everyone a wonderful, good convention to your Shana Tova, good health and uh, continued learning and uh, all of your heart's desire should be fulfilled. Have a wonderful Yantav, everyone. And a good Shabbos. And a good Shabbos.